Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it's Friday, April 24th here in New York City. I hope everyone is doing well, that they're healthy uh, during this coronavirus pandemic. Uh, It was an exciting night last night. It was the first round of the NFL draft. The first real type of live sporting event in America in almost a month, and uh, it was a it was a really exciting night to have things going on. Uh, my New York Giants uh, boast, bolstered the offensive line with Andrew Thomas from uh, from Georgia at pick number four. I was very happy with with that pick, and overall, it was a great night for my alma mater, high school poly prep in Brooklyn. Uh, Coach Brian Flores of the Miami Dolphins is a polyprep graduate. He had three first-round picks, did really well, uh, got his quarterback of the future in Tua, who they didn't even have to move up for. It was a great draft for them. And class of 2017, offensive lineman uh, Isaiah Wilson, who was a right tackle at Georgia for the last two years, he got picked 29th by Tennessee. So overall, just a great night for polyprep, uh, my high school out in uh, Diker Heights, Brooklyn. Uh, so in in the theme of the draft, today on the podcast, uh, joining me is Coach Max Sass, uh, the head coach at Pratt, my old assistant coach at Wesleyan. And we put our own GM hats on, and, and we tried to redraft the 2015 NFL draft. So we were both pumped about this draft. We said, hey, let's... Let's put our own GM hats on and let's see if, if we could redraft uh, the 2015 NFL draft. So what we did is that we picked the first 10 picks in that draft. We, we redrafted it. So that basically is like everyone who was available coming out that year, we put them all on the board and we took turns. Coach Sastar with the first pick and then we went down to the, to the 10th pick and it was a lot of fun. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, so I'm going to hit the music. And when we come back, here is me and Coach Sass picking the t- redrafting the 2015 NFL draft from last week. On the phone is the head men's basketball coach at Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, New York, Coach Max Sass. Coach, what's going on? Not much, Dave. Uh, just staying inside, staying safe, staying healthy, and uh, fiending for sports. Yeah, it's been a it's been a long haul during this quarantine time. Uh, how? bored have you gotten and what are just some things that you've been doing to to pass the time you know what it's it's actually been okay um i've been trying to cook a lot of different things learn some new recipes um working on kind of finishing up our 2020 recruiting class starting up on the 2021 class um trying to do a lot of cool different things with our guys on the current team just be in touch with them in a lot of different ways um give them a lot of resources to stay busy um, whether it's them asking for workouts or us giving them, you know, trivia or, or leadership materials, and 
Um, I'm just trying to become better as a coach. There's been uh, a lot of really good stuff online. Had a chance to watch Nate Oates from Alabama earlier this morning. Really, really like a lot of the stuff he talks about. Um, so I'm just staying busy. When was the last time you went outside? Um, actually, about 15 minutes ago. Perfect. I, okay. I, I went for a walk. I, I texted some recruits. I listened to a podcast on uh, Ohio State recruiting. Um, you know, trying to keep it as normal as possible. There we go. There we go. Because I know some people are not going outside at all. I've been trying to go out at least once a day, whether for a walk or a run. Uh, but it's definitely a very, very stressful time. But this draft is interesting in hindsight. Your favorite team, the New York Jets, had the sixth overall pick. My New York Giants had the ninth overall pick. And I think that if they could redraft and do it over again, I think they would both want to change who they took. Yes, I, I think that's uh, probably a, a good assessment of the situation. So so here's what we're going to do. We're going to redraft the top 10 from the 2015 draft. We're going to take turns. You're going to have the first pick, then I'll do the second pick. We're going to say who was picked originally kind of talk about the scout report on them, how their career has gone, and, and then we'll give our updated uh, pick. So jumping right into it, the first pick in 2015, Tampa Bay had it, and they took Jameis Winston. Mike Mayock, the NFL.com, NFL Network draft guru at the time, said that Winston was, quote, is a big, highly competitive pocket passer, who played a pro-style offense and showed an ability to anticipate throwing windows, scan the entire field, and make NFL throws. His wind-up delivery and marginal mobility outside the pocket are reminiscent of Byron Leftwich, but his arm talent and issues with decision-making are more in line with Eli Manning's. Winston's supreme confidence might be considered arrogance by some, but even that trait will be alluring to teams who need to find a franchise quarterback. What kind of sticks out to you? Because it's, I mean, he, Mayock was kind of right on, on the nose from where Winston's career went, as he's been wildly inconsistent and has been crushed by turnovers, and but he still has extreme confidence in himself. Yeah, I think that Jameis Winston is a really, really interesting case study, right? There were a lot of character concerns, things like that with the crab's legs, um, obviously other things at Florida State, but... He was an immense talent, and ultimately, he was a guy who uh, who, who almost could have used Bruce Arians maybe two, three years ago, if 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 that sort of hindsight is accessible. So, um, he's going into year five right now, and has Bruce Arians there, but he is no longer on the Bucks because Tom Brady's there now. So, I, I really would have been interested to see what Winston would have done. Uh, under Bruce Arians, I think Arians has done some really great things, obviously, with quarterbacks in his time. Um, obviously, he won't get that chance. But having said that, he's still the pick for me at number one. Okay. Where the Buccaneers were at this point, um, he I, there wasn't another quarterback in this draft um, that that was a, was a superstar. Uh, he had back-to-back 4,000-yard passing seasons. Um his first and second year in the NFL. Most recently, he actually had a career high, uh, just shy of 65% completion, completion percentage. Obviously, interceptions have been a huge issue, 58 interceptions and 54 career starts, but 
part of my redraft is that we're also going to be bringing in better quarterback coaches um, and and we're going to look for maybe some more weapons around him in the second and third round. 100%. And he's had good we- weapons during his time in Tampa Bay. He's had Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. He had the sure. famous 30 touchdown, 30 inter- interception season in 2019. But I'm there with you. I still think that he's the top pick because he was the best quarterback in the draft. And he's like playing roulette, you know is that his supreme confidence, I think there's a chance Winston could make a Super Bowl one day because he goes on a Cam Newton, Joe Flacco type run because he's so talented and he has such confidence in himself. But also I think that that's kind of why we see him still to this date on April 14th not have a team for next year. It's because no one knows what to expect with him. Yeah, it's... uh... He's a guy that I would be petrified to have on my favorite team, but I would also be petrified to have playing against my favorite team in a big game. Yeah, he's he's a really interesting case study. I hope that he gets a chance to go to another team in a better situation. I think it would be really fun to see him in New England uh, just to see what, what Belichick <laughs> would do with him and like just like the film studies of – of watching the film of Winston throwing into quadruple coverage and it being an interception, Belichick being like, what the hell did you see here? I think would be very entertaining for NFL films, but I agree. So, so, so Winston chalk, number one, this leads to my pick at number two, uh, with Tennessee, Tennessee at the time took Marcus Mariota, Mike Mayock described him as a scheme-based quarterback who will face the same challenges that several quarterbacks before him have faced in terms of how to read defense and go through progressions. The tape was less kind to Mariota than expected, but his size, athleticism, and consistency of football character throughout his career are necessary traits in becoming a good to great quarterback. Mariota is no lock to be a great NFL quarterback, but his floor is much higher than any of the quarterbacks drafted in 2014. Not a raving review from Mike Mayock. Uh, Mariota's battled injuries and turnovers. Just kind of never really put it together, coach. And he got benched this last year for Ryan Tannehill. Never got the job, back was cut. And now ironically has signed with the Raiders, whose GM is Mike Mayock. So a little full circle there. What do you think went wrong for Mariota? I think it was a combination of a lot of different things. I think injuries were a huge part of it. Um, you know, what was it? I think it was 2018. He took 42 sacks in just that season. Um, you know, it's borderline reminiscent of David Carr with the Texans. And I, I actually really think Marcus Mariota still has a chance to be really good. I'm excited to see him in Oakland with, um, John Gruden, see what they can do there with, with, with a couple weapons around him. Um, I don't know. It just, it, it was, it was almost like a putter who got the yips, right? Watching Mariota, it was he didn't. He wasn't the same quarterback he was at Oregon, and I think the injury sort of gave him that. Again, I'm not a sports psychologist, so I'm just sort of guessing. But hopefully, this revives him because I think he has a chance to still be really, really good. You obviously were used to watching Mariota and thinking about Mariota as a college football Ohio State Buckeye super fan. As you went up against Mariota in the national championship, right? Was that the year with uh, Cardell Jones? Yeah. Yeah, and it was absolutely 
intensely scary because <laughs> Mariota could have scored, you know, 42, 49, 56 points. Yeah. Um, and you're, you know, Mariota was sort of in a weird way, a precursor for what Joe Burrow did this year. Yeah. Um, it's a weird, weird, weird comparison in a lot of ways, but just the way he created space with his feet. Obviously I think Mariota was a little bit more dynamic running the ball. Obviously Burrow threw it downfield a little bit better, but sort of similar in their dominance um both won Heisman trophies and, and both guys very easily could have uh won the college football playoff sort of single-handedly Burrow did it um Mario ran into Cardell Jones uh Ezekiel Elliott and that crew so they didn't thank God for me <laughs> I'm actually wearing an Ohio State t-shirt right now uh to to remember that but um yeah he, he's a guy who who I will I'm gonna go down I'm gonna take uh I'm going to stick with him until he retires. Even when he retires, I might think he's going to come back and still potentially be a pro bowler. I like him. I don't like him enough to keep him at number two. My pick is is Frank Clark, the defensive end. He coming out of the coming out of college, he had a lot of off the field concerns. He had incidents of domestic violence in college that I'm pretty sure got him kicked off the team or suspended from from Michigan. But while he's been in the league, he's been incident-free, and he's been extremely productive on the field. 43 career sacks. Won the Super Bowl this past year with Kansas City. Was a big part of that defense. Signed a $100 million contract. He's my number two pick. You know, I like that, and and it makes my job as a general manager tough because that was actually the guy I had pegged uh, to go third overall to the Jacksonville Jaguars. So that's going to throw me off a little bit, but that's okay. That's That's okay. Okay. So, but I, I, I like the pick a lot. I like the pick a lot. I thought you might go in a different direction. Um, uh, Amari Cooper's still on the board. I thought that might have been the guy that you went with. Um, but but I do like the decision to build the defensive line. Yeah. you. It's We see it this year. Chase Young, the number two pick most likely. Uh, everyone says that he's the best available prospect. I'm a New York Giants fan, coach. We've we've won two Super Bowls in my lifetime based on a great pass rush. Uh, I I just feel like, as you said, building a foundational defense. Uh, th- these guys basically, I, I I read a great quote that that pass rushers at defensive end play offense on defense. They are attacking the line. They're attacking the quarterback. Uh, so I think that if, that if you can get a really good one there, it seems like. Ev- that they're everywhere and every year there's one or two guys that are awesome, but I think that they're really hard to find really good and productive ones. So I'm going to get him to join the, the Tennessee Titans. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. I think that, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a number of, of, of options and ways to go with Jacksonville, but they did go with Dante Fowler and, I'm going to say that I'm not going to make that move. Interesting, um, because interesting because Fowler's actually been pretty productive in his career. Uh, Mike Mayock describes him as a strong side, 3-4 outside linebacker with the physical traits and above-average potential to set the edge or spill runs wide to an early demise. He's a competitive pass rusher, getting by on athleticism and inside moves. Has a Pro Bowl ceiling with double-digit sack potential if he takes coaching and addresses his rush technique. And it's interesting, after missing his whole rookie year with injury and just being in the wrong system probably in Jacksonville, 
once he got traded to the Rams, he put together an 11 and a half sack season in 2019. So he's become more productive later in his career. Why aren't you sticking with the pick? I think that though he has been very productive, I think there are more impactful uh, defensive players available. Okay, uh, specifically, okay. specifically the one who I'm going to take, uh, cornerback Marcus Peters. He was taken 18th overall by the Chiefs in that same draft. But in this redraft, I have him going third overall. I think that he makes a really big impact in a way that guys like Devon House and Aaron Coleman, who I think were starting for the Jaguars back then, uh, would not have made. Uh, he's a multi-time All-Pro, multi-time Pro Bowler. He's an absolute ball hawk. Uh, and I think that um, for what would have been uh, the season that they 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 transitioned to Doug Marone from Gus Bradley, I think he would have locked down that, that cornerback spot opposite Jalen Ramsey, who, uh, who ended up being their next pick um, the following year. I think that's a really, really strong pick, Coach. I had Peters a little bit lower in my big board just because he's played for so many teams. I worry about him as a locker room guy, but I can't sure. fault you there. Been very productive. As you said, ball hawk, 27 career interceptions. He's played for tons of really good teams. And when he got to the Ravens, he really helped elevate that defense up another half or full level this this past season uh and, and i think you're right I, I think it would really help jacksonville because they were so bad uh maybe having marcus peters in that locker room would have been a good influence but i like that pick a lot so i'm at number four oakland in real life took amari cooper <coughs> at number four which in hindsight looks like a re- still really good pick mike mayock described him as a guy who won't dazzle with blazing speed or outrageous size, but is good in both categories. Complete receiver with game-changing ability to win downfield. He won't be able to run rough shot over NFL safeties like he did in college, but he should be able to help a passing game improve quickly, which is something he did. He really helped Oakland during his time there. Uh, and and I'm going to keep this, this pick. I'm, I'm going to keep Amari Cooper to Oakland. You would have loved to see him stay there because then they wouldn't have had the Antonio Brown fiasco. Uh, And he would have been a great weapon for Derek Carr, and he was, and maybe whatever quarterback direction they they choose to go in this year. But just once he got to Dallas, he he really changed Dallas's whole offense when he got traded there in 2018. And and one thing about Cooper is – He's only missed two games in his entire career, which is a big thing. He's he's durable, and when he's out in the field, he's very productive. Four 1,000-yard seasons, 33 career touchdowns. I like him a lot. I think that's a great pick, and, and I think it would have been hard to pass on that guy, uh, Cooper, in, the, uh, in, in this setting. Again, I think that there's probably a lot of Raider fans who would like to take that trade back as well. 100%. And, and you know, I, I thought about going defense here and pairing a guy with Khalil Mack on the other side at the time. But, Interesting thought. But I'm going to stick with the, with the Cooper pick. So, so you're up at five. Five in real life was Washington, and they took the offensive tackle from Iowa, Brandon Scherf. 
Mike Mayerstein has oh, he has measurables and traits to play tackle in the league, but might be better suited to play guard, and he's more powerful than explosive. He's an interesting guy to look back on because he's a guy who has mainly played guard in his career. Guards aren't usually picked in the top 10. Even though he's been very good at he's made three Pro Bowl teams in his first five years, he's looking to sign an extension with Washington. Ironically, he's the only guy picked in the top 10 in 2015 that is still on their original team. He's just been productive, but was this the best value at number five? You know, I think he is. Uh, I think he was a two-time Pro Bowler, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, so it's really hard to pass on him again in this situation, but I'm going to um, because I think there are bigger needs. And in this situation, it's the back end of the secondary specifically safety and uh i have them taking landing collins whoa I think that landing collins the first pick of the second round um is a guy that they can pair in the back end with uh deshaun golden uh probably replacing trent robinson maybe even take golden spot considering that he was 31 years old in that 21 uh 2015 season I think that Landon Collins is a guy who's been incredibly productive. I think that he's a guy who has been um, very successful. He, uh, he, he, he's been the guy who I think he's been one of the five or ten best players from this draft and just fits exactly what the Redskins need. It's funny, too, because Collins was Didn't drafted. Did him? Well, yeah. Big money. Yeah, because uh, he was drafted by the Giants in the, in the second round. We trade up to get him. And one of Dave Gettleman's, uh, just one of the list of decisions that I do not agree with that he's made during his time, he decided to let Landon Collins go instead of franchise tagging him and was signed by Washington. So you're That's having right. Washington there pick was him. something there going on that, that was making me feel like it was the right fit, but... I mean, in 2016, for your Giants, he, he had 125 tackles, four sacks, five picks. I mean, he is just incredibly productive in the back end of that um, secondary for the Redskins. Trent Robinson, Deshaun Golden, not particularly impressive. Um, He's also a leader. He was a team captain for the Giants for a few years. So I think this is a really good pick. Uh, I loved watching him in in the, the New York giant blue. I hate what rooting and playing <laughs> against him now, but I think this is another really good pick. You're helping the defense. Uh, and who, and you know, the NFC East is a division with some pretty good quarterbacks, Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, uh, Eli Manning slash Daniel Jones. So, uh, <laughs> over all aboard on the Jones train. Well, I well, I have to. As, as a Giants fan, it's it's you know you're 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 just forced to to just believe in him, right? He fumbles a lot, uh, but I have faith. I like it. So, at number six was the New York Jets. They took Leonard Williams at a USC. Mike Mayock is fine. He's been fine. Mike Mayock described him as an enormously powerful defensive lineman. Has the look and feel of the biggest, strongest kid on the playground, but hasn't figured out how to unlock his natural gifts and consistently dominate the rest of the kids on the playground yet. With coaching and more experience, 
Williams should be able to match the athleticism with the power and become a consistent pro bowler with a ceiling that goes even higher than that. Well, I think Mayock described it right. It was that just hasn't figured out how to consistently dominate. And it's funny because I remember watching that draft as a Jets fan sitting there as these other guys were coming off the board and going, holy smokes, we're going to end up with Leonard Williams. I, you know, I remember that. Same well, I know our defensive line is good and it's strong already, but how can you not take the best available player? And now we're sitting here a couple years later and in 2019, the Jets are taking Quinnen Williams and we're going, yeah, Leonard Williams stunk. Like Quinnen's <laughs> the real deal. Oh my God, best available. How did he fall at number three? And I, I'm just sitting here like having flashbacks when I was at the, what was it? The 2006 NFL draft. And, I was there in my Sam Cowart Jets jersey and just freaking out when they took Vernon Golston and, and thinking, <laughs> oh, my God, like this is the second coming of Mark Gastineau. And needless to say, don't take my opinion. I remember the, the same thing, too, about the Jets, which was Williams was highly rated and the Jets had a very strong defense at the time. And specifically, as you said, a strong defensive line. But it was kind of like Williams at you at six. It's like you kind of have to take the best player available there. He peaked in 2016. We thought you guys had nailed the pick in 2016. He had seven sacks, pro bowler. I think he might have made the, the all-pro team. But over the next three seasons, Coach, he's only had seven and a half sacks combined, and he got traded to my New York Giants last year and just wasn't that productive when he got to the Giants either. It's kind. He's kind of got in a weird career as he's incredibly talented, but just super inconsistent and seems to be regressing without really any crazy injuries, you know? Yeah, I don't particularly understand it, but that's the Jets for you. Yeah, it's it's the Jets curse. With my pick here, I'm going to give you guys a different pass rusher. I'm going to take Danielle Hunter from Ellis from LSU. He has starred for the Minnesota Vikings in his career. 54 and a half career sacks. He's made the Pro Bowl twice, both in the last two years, 2018 and 2019. And he's only missed two games in his career as well. So incredibly durable, very, very productive, and peaking as well. He he started off pretty strong and has turned into a really, really good player. Uh, I'll give you another great pass rusher for the New York Jets in, uh, in Danielle Hunter. You know, the only thing that... I would say or complain about there is that I just think the Jets were in a situation also where they just needed his quarterback so badly. Um, uh, Geno Smith stinks. Um, you're in a situation where Ryan Fitzpatrick ended up taking over. Obviously, that's not a long-term uh, situation there. But uh, Mariota, you know, and again, I, I said I'm a Mariota believer. So that's the that's the direction I would have gone. But having said that, taking a, sh- a much more sure thing in Hunter is probably the right move. Yeah, if if Mariota's had a better career, he's he's a logical pick. But I don't know if if even if you had Mariota, if you still would have had the same quarterback concerns, and, and I think you would have still been in the position where you felt like to, that that you guys had to go trade up and get Sam Darnold. I agree with that. I, I agree with that. I think that it's. Uh, it's an impossible balance to, to know. So you have the seventh pick, which is the duh, Chicago Bears, and they took a wide receiver who Mike Mayock had rated higher than Amari Cooper coming out in, in West Virginia's Kevin White. This is a guy who 
was a physical freak in college. Mayock described him as he showed off 23 reps on the bench press and a blazing 4-3-5-40 at the combine, proving he has the top end speed to go with the size and strength. White lacks the polish of Amari Cooper, but some teams already believe he has the best upside of any receiver in this draft. Unfortunately, we just never got the chance to see it, Coach. His career, in three words, can be defined by injuries, injuries, and more injuries. He only got a chance to play in 14 games in four seasons with the Bears, caught 25 passes and zero touchdowns. And just to give us a summary of just how unlucky he was with his injury luck, he had a season-ending shin injury during his rookie training camp. After the fourth games, after the fourth game in his second year, he had a leg injury that was also season-ending. He fractured his shoulder blade in the opening game of the third of his third season of his third playing season, so really his fourth year in the league. He got signed by the Cardinals and was cut in training camp with a hamstring injury. So just so just never really a chance to show what he could do because he was always on the training table. Yeah, it, it's too bad. Um, I considered leaving the wide receiver position. Uh, I think they had some needs at edge rusher. Obviously, this was before Khalil Mack. I looked at Vic Beasley and guys like that. Ultimately, I, I stuck with the wide receiver position. I went very far down the actual 2015 draft board uh, to take a fifth-round pick who's now going to be the seventh overall pick in Stefan Diggs out of Maryland. Great pick. Th- Great pick. Thank you. And I, I think that Diggs is a guy who, if you look back at this draft class, he is among all players drafted, has the most receptions in his career. Mm-hmm. 365 and he's second to only Amari Cooper in career in reception yards and in touchdowns so if Cooper's not on the board Diggs to me is clearly the second best receiver um, he's a guy who just really gives them stability on the edge which they obviously thought they were getting in Kevin White and didn't get he's actually I think he would have started that year across from Alshon Jeffrey yep. uh, it looks like that year they started Eddie Royal across from him um so not necessarily the most thrilling pick. But if you could have paired Jay Cutler, Matt Forte, um, and, and what was actually a pretty good offensive line um, with Stefan Diggs, I think that offense is significantly more dangerous. And I really like what Chicago ends up doing. And it might have actually helped John Fox keep his job even longer than he did. 100% completely and fun fact agree with is, you. You know who the offensive coordinator of that Chicago Bears team was that year? Was it Nagy or it, it was one of those gurus? It was like the the Canadian Adam guy, Gaze. Adam Gase. Yeah, Adam interesting, Gaze, so. interesting. Yeah, it's it's funny because Stephon Diggs fell to the fifth round because during his college career at Maryland, he was injured all the time. Injuries really plagued his college career. Didn't really get a chance to show what he could do really consistently, and there was a lot of durability concerns. So it's ironic if if you say that he gets picked now in the place of Kevin White, who wasn't that injured in college and just had all his bad injury luck in the NFL. And also, you got to say, Stephon Diggs is blooming at the right time. He's had 23 touchdowns the last three seasons alone, back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, and just got traded to Buffalo for this year's first, fifth, and sixth-round picks and a next year's fourth uh, that's a lot to give up for Stephon Diggs. So just of what other teams think of him and, and the way they value him within the league uh, is really, really high. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're up with the Falcons at number eight? I'm up with I, – I got the Falcons pick here. Uh, I think I could have gone a lot of different directions. They took Vic Beasley out of Clemson in real life. Mayock described him as one of the best pure Ed rushers in the draft but needs more sophistication to his approach. High-impact talent, but needs to crank up competitive nature in order to reach his potential. Beasley has had a very solid career. He had an elite all-pro season in 2016, as he had 15.5 sacks and six forced fumbles. Injuries have limited him some since, but rebound with a strong 2019 season with eight sacks. And he just signed with the Tennessee Titans this offseason, where... I think he has a pretty good chance to be a good player for them. Uh, the guy who I'm going to take here, you know, I could go a lot of different directions. I could go offense. I could go defense. Uh, I'm not going to take Vic I Beasley. Special teams. I, I, I could go special teams. I could throw a punter in there. <laughs> but I But I just got to take the top guy on my board, and that's Todd Gurley. Interesting, who also fittingly is now on the Falcons. Yes. The thing about Gurley is I know people will say he has all the injury concerns the last few years, which is true. But in his career, he's had three 1,000-yard seasons, 70 career touchdowns already. He was the 2015 Rookie of the Year and the 2017 Offensive Player of the Year. He won't succeed in the long term as his knee injuries uh, are catching up to him. Uh, but at his best, he was an MVP caliber player. And if he's the only guy who we've really picked so far who you could say that about, I'm going to take Todd Gurley. And who knows, maybe if in the Super Bowl against the Patriots, if they had Todd Gurley, they would have run the ball. Now, Dave, I have to ask you, uh, did you consider Melvin Gordon or David Johnson in this in this uh, in this spot? I considered Melvin Gordon. I have I, I did not consider David Johnson. Johnson had that one and t- or two great years, but his injuries have really caught up to him. Uh, and I, and I, I did consider Melvin Gordon, but I just have Gurley ranked a little higher as I thought Gurley truly was an MVP candidate in 2017. Well, Gordon Absolutely. has been has, has been awesome wasn't at that same level and so so that's what really put Gurley uh ahead of Gordon for me but but yes I I did consider Melvin Gordon but Todd Gurley <laughs> just to me was the guy I, I think you made the right choice here I think that if you look at all the running backs drafted in that 2015 draft uh Todd Gurley leads all of them in rushing yards uh, the next closest is Melvin Gordon, and Gurley's ahead of him by uh, almost 1,200 yards. And Gurley also leads that draft class in rushing touchdowns. He's 22 ahead of Melvin Gordon, who's second. Um, he does trail David Johnson for a few receiving yards among running backs, but uh, I mean, he's clearly a, a very impressive dual threat. 12 touchdowns through. Uh, receptions 58 on the ground. I mean, Todd Gurley, uh, I, I agree, is the top running back in this class. You can also say that he's only behind Johnson because Gurley's played with better quarterbacks so far, and Johnson really just had checked down Kings. Yeah, and just checked down Kings. Sean McVay? Yeah, 100%. So c- 
coming up on the ninth pick is my New York Giants, who in real life took the unforgettable Eric Flowers, the offensive tackle from uh, the offensive tackle from Miami. Mike Mayock describes him as a guy with good size and sure and, and short area foot quickness, but also features some lower body tightness and struggles to get proper depth quickly to consistently meet edge rushers. Summer Flowers' pass protection issue may be difficult to overcome. He may be drafted as a tackle, but his best position could be could end up being at guard. Another great prediction from Mike Mayock because Flowers was a horrendous offensive tackle. He couldn't block at on the left side, on the right side. He led he had so many penalties, so many false starts and holds. He basically got run out of town by the Giants. And he found success with the Washington Redskins. Again, all these guys from the Giants seemingly end up on the Redskins. Was a really good guard for them. Was very highly rated on pro football focus. And he signed a three-year, $30 million contract with Miami this offseason to play guard. Yeah. So I I think offensive line was obviously a huge uh, need for the Giants. I think there were actually a lot of interesting things here. Uh, When I make this pick... Certainly, Marcus Mariota being on the board is certainly interesting when you start talking about finding a successor for Eli Manning, but I did not go that direction. Okay, okay. Uh, Certainly, the back end of the defense, uh, maybe a guy like Trey Waynes, maybe, you know, uh, uh, obviously, if Landon Collins was on the board, he would have been very, uh, pretty much a natural fit uh, moving up earlier in this spot. But For me, I think the Giants just need a little bit of toughness, so I decided to take Aaron Ripkowski, the fullback. Wow. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, That would have been pretty funny. That was hysterical. Uh, No. I'm kidding. I I went with the guy who I think is the best offensive lineman in this draft, Brandon Scherf. I think that he was – did have an injury, if I'm not mistaken – uh, in like 2018 or 2019. Yeah. But he started yeah, all he, 16. Dead, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. He tore his pectoral muscle midway through the 2019 season, but uh, he still made the Pro Bowl. Yeah. So he's a two time Pro Bowler. Um, he started all 16 games for the Redskins as, as a rookie. Um, I, I think that Scherf is, is the kind of guy that, that, you know, even if he does end up at guard for the Giants, uh, just add some solidity to that offensive line. Uh, that that would really help potentially extend the career of guys like Eli Manning. Uh, and then you look well into the future. Uh, he's a guy that's going to be best buddies with Saquon Barkley as a road grader for him. Yeah. I God, I, I wish we could have taken an offensive lineman like Brandon Scherf or even <laughs> or, or, or even uh, Andres Pete, the guy who went to, to the yep. Saints and, and has had a pretty good career. Struggled in 2019, but a good career. I considered him a little bit as well just because he – it looks like he's a little bit more uh, – he plays guard as well, though. Yeah. But it looks like he was predicted to be a little bit more of a tackle prospect than Scherf was. But ultimately, I went with the guy who's made two Pro Bowls. Great. A very, very solid pick. Fits the team needs of the Giants. And it's oh – God. I just – I wish we took someone like this. Because, you know, you, you were watching the draft <laughs> saying L- L- Leonard Williams. And, and, you know, we took Eric Flowers – 
the year after taking Odell Beckham, right? So we're thinking, oh, we could get a playmaker. It's always more fun as a fan when you take someone on offense because they actually have highlights on YouTube of them scoring touchdowns and stuff and not blocking, which as just a fan, you don't really understand what makes someone a really good blocker or, or not a good blocker. Right. Uh, but then it's just like we were basically just told he was a potential pick because he was humongous. He was like – he's like 6'7", 315 pounds. He supposedly was like one of those combine guys who could bench a lot. and was just like he's the highest potential guy. Well, he was horrendous because we threw him at left tackle immediately and he – you know, it, he couldn't do it. And it's it's interesting – I, I wonder what the impact of the of the fewer practices in the off season are for a guy like him. If he just had more practices and more reps, if he would have turned out better, and maybe he could have played tackle. But he's definitely playing the right position in Miami. Uh, and Brian Flores, another really good move by him. Absolutely. Absolutely. So cap off our top 10, Dave. What uh, what are you thinking with this 10th overall pick? Obviously, Gurley is off the board for the Rams. Yeah, so so Gurley is off the board. The Rams took him in, in real life. It was, it was a great pick for them. Even if he, in their Super Bowl run, they kind of replaced him with C.J. Anderson. And he really struggled last year with some knee issues, and he's no longer on the team. Uh I just want to read the Mike Mayock scouting report really quickly because, again, he kind of predicted the future. Todd Gurley was coming off an ACL injury, remember, in college. So, yep, absolutely. So Mayock said the rehab work and NFL scouting combined medicals will be extremely important for Gurley's draft stock as teams assess his potential durability as an NFL running back. He has the talent to be a top five NFL running back, but ACL tear clouds the short-term picture. I think he nailed it again. It's the durability concerns, but he spot but he was a top five guy. Uh, he was also the rookie of the year, the yeah. offensive rookie of the year. Offensive, uh, yep, one hundred percent. Being the defensive rookie of the year, so both those guys are off the board, which makes it challenging here. So I was thinking I could go running back and take Melvin Gordon here uh, right. and replace one running back with another, but I'm but I'm going to take a uh, I'm going to take a guy on defense who I think could have helped them in Byron Jones, the now Miami Dolphin Byron Jones. He was drafted by the Cowboys and had a really good career there. He started as a safety and then got moved to corner and immediately became one of the best corner cornerbacks in all of football. And he got paid like it this past off season, uh, signed a five year, $82 million contract. He made a pro bowl in 2018 at corner his first year there, and last year he really was one of the best corners in all of football. It seems like, you know, I, I read an article coach coach about how the way that we evaluate players on defense seems to be changing, and maybe we're going to start valuing defensive backs way more uh, in just in terms of the process of building a defense. And I think Byron Jones is, is a great guy to, to build a defense around for the Rams here. Yeah. I, I agree. I think there's actually quite a few good uh, defensive backs still on the board, guys like Ronald Darby. Um, obviously, Trey Wayne, who I mentioned before, um, w- was okay. He's been okay, but um, Ronald Darby, even Kevin Johnson, uh, if I have his name right. Yep. Um, Texans. 
Texans yeah, Hard Knocks alum. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, has has been pretty good. So there, there's a couple good um, defensive backs still out there, and, and I think that makes it a little challenging. And as a fan of the New York Giants, who had just terrible pass coverage this 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 past <laughs> season, maybe I'm just more biased in that I, I value the guys who can cover in the secondary more than another guy just because I I was I saw so many t- passing touchdowns the past two seasons it was it was painful to watch. Yeah, I would imagine. I would imagine so. That's uh, not an easy thing to deal with. And then you let Landon Collins walk. That doesn't particularly help either. Yeah, I, I have no comments about uh, Dave Gettleman because I just have nothing nice to say. Mm, all right. Well, what? Uh, you know, hey, he's the guy who went out in the limb for you, guy Daniel Jones. So, uh, if you're gonna ride or die for him, you got to ride or die for Gettleman. I guess that makes sound logic sense, but my in my <laughs> irrational fandom, the guy who's given up a third round pick for Leonard Williams, taken after taking Dexter Lawrence in the first round, the guy who traded my favorite player in Odell Beckham, uh, letting Landon Collins go, he he's just a uh, he just is doesn't seem like he's a believer in the modern football. He's still trying to win like it's nineteen eighty three. And I don't know if you can win the Super Bowl in 2021 with a team built for 1983. Yeah, it's a really good question. So, Dave, just to kind of recap, we have in our redraft, Jameis Winston, first overall to the Titans. That pick stays the same. Bucks, Bucks. Uh, uh, excuse me, the Bucks. I was looking ahead. We actually had um, two picks that stayed exactly the same in Winston and Amari Cooper. Yep. Uh, and then we had a couple other guys, Gurley, Scherf, um, who, who were top 10 picks, but got shuffled around to different teams. Right. And then we had six guys who were not, who hopped in. Yep. And the interesting thing for me is that there were a couple guys who, whether it was character issues or other things that kept them out of the first round injuries, um, we had a number of guys who jumped up, right? Frank Clark uh, was not a first-round pick. Marcus Peters was, but he was uh, 18th overall. Landon Collins was a second-round pick. Um, Danielle Hunter was, I believe, a third-round pick. Stephon Diggs, fifth-round pick. Um, Byron Jones, where was Byron Jones? I think, was he at the end of the first round? Or? Yeah, he was He was a late first-rounder. So I, I just think it's. it was very interesting to me to see these guys who fell because of risk, um, who were obviously worth taking in a certain sense and people are now paying for it on their second contracts right like frank clark uh just picked up with like a 105 million dollar contract from the chiefs i think yep yep he he basically got traded from seattle because they couldn't afford or didn't want to pay him and kansas city did and and he got us and he helped them win the super bowl so yeah uh it's definitely interesting to to look back on on our top 10 I still don't understand. Surprises under- for you? The the surprise for me, I guess, was uh, Marcus Peters going three was probably the the biggest surprise. I thought that you were going to go Cooper there. Uh, I, know, I thought about it. I I really did think about it, um, and maybe that might have been the right pick. I just feel like when the Jaguars got really really good, um, it was because their defense. Yep. And. I just felt like, you know, pairing Jalen Ramsey and Marcus Peters, um, 
on the back end of that defense would have just made them maybe one, maybe the best defense of all time. I mean, that's a little more, bit of hyperbole, yeah. but, um, yeah. you know, stick with your strength in a, in a, in a weird way. That's a great point. And I guess just, lo- just looking back on it and, and doing the research, uh, it's a little weird that Landon Collins wasn't a first round pick. It was weird at the time. Uh, the yeah, Giants traded. He had the pedigree. Yeah, the Giants traded up to get him as their first pick in the second round, so pick thirty three. I think it was just his size and just kind of the idea of he's really good, but how much better is he going to get? I think was the main concern about Landon Collins, which is when you think back to it, it's very frustrating when you're just like. Wait, teams didn't take him because he was good, uh, or that he didn't has the potential of say an Eric Flowers of what he could become. But he's a guy who's just been so productive. It it, it makes me wonder if teams or if the the best teams just know how to draft players who are really good. It was very similar to the way Derwin James fell for San Diego. And now LA, a guy who comes in, makes an immediate impact, one of the best players in the whole on defense in the whole league, but he falls because he's already so good. It's the idea of how much better can he get. I, I just don't know how good of an argument that is anymore. I think it's also interesting to look at kind of the breakdown. Obviously, nine of the ten guys that we picked here were Power Five conference guys, but. Yep. You know, Winston and Florida State obviously won the national championship, and Amari Cooper and Landon Collins were um, Alabama guys. Obviously, Hunter's a, uh, an LSU guy, and Gurley also from the SEC. But Maryland stunk. You know, Stephon Diggs Bad. were the top ten pick. Byron Jones, like you don't think of UConn for churning out football products. Uh, obviously, I was apparently putting out pretty darn good offensive linemen. But um, I just think it's interesting to see that there are guys. Uh, like that, who are who, who are becoming some of the best players at their position. Yeah, that that's always one of the best parts about football is in, in the draft is that we love the the clips of Belichick working out some nobody from some small college <laughs> no one's ever heard of, right? And he turned out to be a really good player. But it's it just seems like you can get these really good football players. Like in this same draft, a guy on my big bard was Ali Marpet. From Hobart, a, a Hobart. division, a, a division three school, so he's playing football in the Liberty League Conference against geniuses, and he's going on and he's getting ready for the NFL draft. And he's turned out to have a really good career. He was awesome. He was awesome. I remember I was coaching at Bard College at the time in the Liberty League, and um, I was just trying to wrap my mind around the fact that while we were up in their gym and. Geneva or wherever the heck they are in New York, uh, there was an NFL player working out in the weight room, probably just just across the you know the gym. Uh, it, 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 it's cool though to see that small school stuff. I mean, you're seeing it this year with the draft. Um, there's a kid from Dayton who I think is going to be a, a fairly high pick at tight end, and I think there's a, a Division three kid from Minnesota. Uh, I forget exactly what school, who's also going to be drafted in the first two days or expected to be. I think he's an offensive tackle. So um, it's cool to see guys like that succeed. 100%. We, we have to rep for, this, for the small school guys because uh, that's what, what we love to see, which is that these guys come in. They, they aren't the five-star players in high school. They develop. They work really, really hard. And it just shows that you know anything can happen. It's not like the NBA where most guys spend one year in college and 
you're kind of looked down upon for spending three, four years in college. In football, you have to do it. So it's a big difference. It gives more people a chance, though it also does things like give Chase Young and Jeff Okuda, who were top five, top ten prospects in the country, the chance to just you know, make them wait a little bit longer because there's vets in front of them, yep. right? Like Chase Young didn't get to be featured as a freshman because you had guys like Nick Bosa, who was the Big Ten lineman of the year. Exactly. Um, and, and and also learn some things, as, as you're saying. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it makes more ready prospects, but the physical nature of the game is obviously going to be different for football than it is for basketball, even though, as I'm sure you can vouch for there are some games uh, that feel like football games in the NESCAC and a lot of basketball conferences across the country. And just AAU basketball in general. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. When you're paying refs, you know, like 50 bucks a game and they have to do 12 games in 10 hours, (laughs) they're letting everything go because they, when you got games running from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. and it's on a strict schedule, they're not taking time to call hand checks and doing a lot of free throws. <laughs> they yeah, got to keep the schedule it, going. It's not the highest level of basketball that, that I've ever seen. Put it that way. For, for sure. So, so coach really appreciate you taking the time to join us today to do this. I had fun. Uh, it's interesting. No Ohio state Buckeyes in the top 10. Yeah. You know, it, it was not, uh, on a, a great Ohio State draft, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they had a lot of young guys on that team. Um, they actually came back with, with a crazy um, roster the next year, and they blew a game to Michigan State. I think the first player picked off that Ohio State team was Devin Smith early in the second round, the wide receiver to the Jets. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think who the productive guys were from Ohio State. Jeff Hireman, I think, the tight end, uh, was a third-round pick. Um, maybe Mike was Michael Bennett, the defensive lineman that year. Um, you know, Duran Grant, cornerback, kind of just scrolling through the draft. That Ohio State team was actually even more talented the next year um, in 2016, looking to repeat for the national championship. Um, yeah, Michael Bennett, uh, the sixth-round defensive tackle, might have been the best player that they lost. Um they did not have a lot of draft eligible guys. Shockingly, um, they returned, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, they returned Rex Miller, all their quarterbacks, Cardell Jones, JT Barrett. Um, obviously Bosa came back the next year. Um, it was pretty gosh, 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 darn good. Uh, Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, and then Eli Apple came back. They had three top 10 picks the next year. And then Taylor Decker was the 16th overall pick. Darren Lee was 20th. Um, you know, pretty ridiculous next year for them, but uh, not a great Ohio State draft. And it's going to be a pretty ridiculous and a great 2020 draft for the Ohio State Buckeyes with Chase Young and Jeff Okuda going most and, likely in the top and five. Joe Burrow. And for the former we, Buckeye. We still count him. We still count him. <laughs> uh, and the former Buckeye. You know, he, he is from the state of Ohio, so so he is a Buckeye. Uh, at heart, even if even if he doesn't get to, even when Goodell p- announces his name, they don't say Ohio State. He, he is a Buckeye. He's got his degree from Ohio State. He does. So he we're does. counting him. We're counting him. And and J.K. Dobbins, who might uh, 
jump into yeah. the in, into the back end of the first round or be one, yeah that's an interesting one or probably be one of these guys where in five years people are redrafting the 2020 draft be like how did jk dobbins go in the second or third <laughs> round he's really really good yeah i hope so i hope he has a really good career i have some concerns about his durability and his pass blocking but um you know he catches the ball well out of the backfield obviously he's very explosive um the best thing that happened to him was that Travis Etienne stayed in college at Clemson. Yes. In my opinion. But yes. there's good running backs in this draft. You know, obviously DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor, and I'm sure I'm forgetting someone. Um, there are some good players, man. Coach, appreciate all the time, especially during this quarantine period. I appreciate you going back in time with me as life was a little simpler in, in 2015, even if, <laughs> even if the drafting uh, – remains a crapshoot five years later it doesn't seem like the science has gotten any better but but 2015 was a simpler time where we could go outside into restaurants and stuff and to imagine that i know right in due time so coach appreciate all the time uh gonna wish you a good luck for the nfl draft as i know you got a lot of buckeyes at stake and uh thank you and that uh thank you, you david and that you stay safe and uh stay healthy during this crazy quarantine time Same to you. Thanks for having me on, Dave. It's always a pleasure. Of course. Thanks, Coach. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can leave us a rating and a review. Five stars would be much appreciated. And you can follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. Hope you guys have a great weekend. We'll be back next week. Until then, take care and make it a great day.